Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. And you're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. So I hope you had a wonderful weekend. And if not, if it was tough, then maybe this week some of these shows can help lift your spirits some. And if not, I certainly want you to know that I pray for all the listeners. And if you are listening, then I have been praying for you. So this week, we are going to do an entire week on dating. And dating is hard to do, especially in the 21st century. Now, dating is not a new experience, uh, but it does seem that the rules have all changed. And it's quite a daunting endeavor as well. I'm sure that If you have had to date in the past and you are now in a committed relationship or married, you know what that feels like. And if you are looking for a committed relationship, then you know what that means. Dating is hard to do and it is very daunting sometimes. And the older we get, the harder it is as well. We don't have the same bounce back we did in high school and college. You know, and we've talked a lot about the way the brain matures. And if you remember back in seventh grade, you could go out with somebody for a week and then break up, and then you started dating somebody again. You were going out or going with somebody. And the way that we experience relationships as we age and the more mature we are, the more profound the experience, the deeper it is. And it's supposed to be that way. So it does get a little more difficult, and it gets sometimes a little more complicated. So you want to think about the fact that it is work. It's work. It's a worthy endeavor, though, and there really isn't any other way in our culture right now. We, we don't have a culture that um, decides who we're supposed to marry, and we don't have a culture that, you know, necessarily, like I said, picks the person that we're to marry and arranges it. We don't have arranged marriages. So it's wonderful, and it's difficult at the same time. So there's lots of studies that Forbes magazine did about the best cities for singles. And they, they ranked about 40 of the largest metropolitan areas in America, and they evaluated them on nightlife culture, job growth, the number of singles, the cost of living, online dating, and actually how cool, what the coolness factor of the place was. And the bottom line is how well did Phoenix do? Well, actually in 2005, it was ranked 14 out of 40, And in 2006, it went up to 11 to actually be the number three spot in the nation. So judging from the rankings, it seems that, you know, a lot of the things that we have, new stadiums, new bars, new restaurants, good prospects for job growth, we have a lot of major companies that are coming to Phoenix. And we have more singles moving to town And it's really fueled this meteoric rise. And so we do have a great majority of single people. And it's it's amazing, though, that it doesn't really always matter the amount of people. It's where they are and who they are, 
who you are and where you're at in your life and where they're at in their life. And so Phoenix, it has a high single male to female ratio. It has a pretty low cost of living still. So it, it, was, it was pegged and still is at, at, in the top 10 list. And so we also credit Phoenix because it has sunny weather and lots of opportunity for outdoor activities. And it has quite a posh dating scene here in the valley. And apparently Phoenix women are quite beautiful. That's what they say. So the other thing that's so amazing about Arizona and especially about Phoenix, 50% of the people are single and that is rising. And so 55% of Christian marriages also, this is very sad, are ending in divorce. And similarly, the same percentage applies to non-believers in marriage. Less people are getting married these days. And um, I, I want you to understand that a lot of that has to do with this false idea that if we get married, it somehow ruins the relationship. And so I really want you to know I get the fear. I really do. Um, but I do want you to understand that Marriage is not the culprit. Marriage is simply um, an institution. It's a paradigm. It, it's, uh, it's a contract. It's a lot of things. It does not make or break a relationship. And so many of us feel like if we're not in a relationship, then we won't break up, as if this somehow protects our hearts. So we're not going to really say we're in a relationship. We're going to hang out. We're going to go places together. We're going to bear our hearts to one another. And we'll probably even have sex with one another. But we're not going to actually say we're in a relationship. And, and this, this, doesn't, this doesn't protect our heart. I wish it did. Because if it did, then I think God would have, have showed us this. So maybe somebody very important is calling me. I'm not sure. But anyways, I'm sorry for that little, in, uh, that little distraction. So back to this idea that if really that not getting married was the, the goal and the key for healthy relationships, and that if people didn't get married, then they'd be happy, then God would not be so encouraging of us being married. And see, the, 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 cons the, the institution of marriage, it allows this environment that is supposed to encourage us to be everything that God has created us to be, everything that we ever wanted to be or could be, should be, you know, all those things. And then it's a safe environment because of the level of commitment, that that kind of protects that, that whole process of learning who you are. And, and so this is a very, very tenuous topic in our, in our world today. And I'm sad that it is. Um, see, what happens when we don't really understand what marriage is and we don't understand the environment and the reason for marriage, we come, we, we come out of it far more brokenhearted. And we have to get over relationships that if, if we were not married and we had this very long-standing commitment, makes it more painful to get over that relationship because it was never really formally validated. And so Christians oftentimes might be worse at this because they think that all they need to do is be a Christian and get married, and then somehow their relationship's going to work. So certainly our walk with Christ and through his words teaches us how to treat others in general. And Jesus, we know, is the greatest role model 
for how to be relational. But in the same way, it doesn't give us concrete skills that we may need for the 21st century. It gives us concepts, but we need to make those concepts more concrete. So we need to be knowledgeable and equipped for this specific skill in terms of relating. It's an attitude. It's, it's considerations of a lifetime relationship commitment. How do we do that? Because relationships are very complex, and, and they are a complex combination of interactions between very different and very complex human beings. And these interactions require understanding and discernment, wisdom, and training. So we have dating apps. We have new rules for dating. We have rules for being sexually responsible. We have new rules for women. We have online dating. We have all kinds of things. But what I want to talk about today, because this is the bedrock. If you are wanting to date someone, if you are now finding yourself in the dating world, if you have ended a relationship, if you have been uh, subsequently divorced, and you are considering dating, I want to talk about some very important things so that if you're in the midst of it, you might fare better. If you are starting that process, you might have less mistakes. So we're going to talk about this most important issue to the human race, and this is the issue of relationship. So what we see in this birth and that when someone is born and then this family occurs as a result this is the single most important event that ever happened in history. This being, when we talk about Christ, this being the birth and the life of one man and his relationship and relationships to humans. See, God showed his creation the single most important thing to him. Something more important than justice, more important than truth. It was his relationship to his creation, to his people. So what does this mean? We've talked about this before. When I say this, relationships are unavoidable. And so they're either positive or negative. But we determine whether or not to put effort into creating that positive relationship dynamic with any given individual or with God himself. So unsuccessful and unhealthy relationships, these can be avoided. Of course, not without some effort, because I can only do my side of the relationship. But people who seem to be allowing us to do their part of the relationship also can fool us. We have to remember, though, that in reality, no matter how bad the relationship, my part of it is the only thing I'm responsible for and the only thing I can control. So when relationships aren't working well, we, we are hurt. We tend to want to shut down and be done with relationships altogether. But since we know that relationships are unavoidable, what we're really saying is that we wish to avoid intimacy. We don't want to be hurt. And so the difference, we've talked about the difference between relating and intimacy. And so this second foundational truth is that there is a basic human need to know someone and to be known by someone. That's intimacy. And we've talked about at length, when we did that whole week, we talked about the God who sees me and the need to be seen, to be known. And so there certainly are levels of intimacy. 
the, but the deepest hurts happen when someone who we thought we knew, someone who we thought knew us, turns out to have, to have not known us at all. And, and or maybe we're making a mistake relating with intimacy or having to deal with and manage the fact that someone doesn't want to know me. They may want to be with me. They may want all the benefits of being with me. But they may not want to put the effort into knowing me. So there are some reasons we avoid intimacy. And when we look at how Webster, the dictionary, defines relate, it's to tell a story of, to narrate, to connect in thought or meaning, to have some connection or relation to. So this general definition can mean anything from relating to the waitress at the coffee shop to what should be our most intimate relationship, relating to my significant other or my spouse or to, to the Lord. So intimate, in contrast, this is defined as the most private or personal, very close or familiar, deep and thorough. See, these are vastly different experiences, simply relating to, to someone and being intimate with someone. So the most meaningful and healing relationships must have both. They must have intimacy that comes from healthy relating. So I can't just have intimacy, which is maybe physical intimacy. Maybe somebody knows all about my finances. Maybe they know all about my past. So maybe there's, they know me really well or know about me. But if I don't have healthy relating skills, that intimacy hurts even more. And this is what happens when we have sex with people that we thought loved us, thought they knew us, thought they were committed to us, assumed all kinds of things. Or maybe they said a whole bunch of words that they meant at the time, but don't have the, the tenacity or the, um, the morality to actually follow through with the words that they say. And so we get very intimate with them sexually and emotionally but we don't have the foundation of healthy relationship. And that those are the most painful situations and hurts that, that humans can have. So I work really hard at dispelling the myths that people create for themselves when it comes to relationships. Things like saying, I'm done with relationships. I'll never do them in the future. And I say to them, well, you're sitting here talking to me and we're relating, and I know you very well. So what you're saying really is, I'm done with that type of relationship, or I'm too afraid to pursue it. I don't want to be hurt anymore, so I'm not going to, quote unquote, need a relationship. I mean, wouldn't that be great if we could choose what we needed? <laughs> and we can choose a lot of what we want, but we can't choose what we need. And we need relationships. Humans perish without relationship. So if you don't put the work into it and take the risk of developing positive, intimate relationships, you're going to be left with negative relationships that are void of intimacy. So I have to ask myself, will I choose to relate positively with intimacy? So am I going to choose to build a relationship and then ease intimacy in, the more the relationship is working, the more intimate it becomes? Or am I going to try to start with intimacy first and hope the relationship follows? 
So the avoidance of relationship really ends up hurting far more than really the hurt that might come to putting work into positive relationships. Yeah, there's some hurt in that, but there's also some payoff. Because I either learn what I don't want or I learn what I do want, and I learn better every time I practice it. So relationship avoidance is at best really this feeble attempt at self-protection, and I really get it. I've had lots of hurts in my past. I've had lots of relationships that I thought maybe were healthier than they were, and as I've aged, I have learned better and better and better, and my relationships are far better than they've ever been. So there really is hope. This really is a skill that we are meant to learn. If you don't learn it from the family you grew up in, if they teach you skills that are not helpful, if they teach you thought constructs that are very negative, that are fear-based, you're going to have to unlearn those things and learn new things. So we know that as humans, we are relational beings. We can't help that. And see, relationships for humans are a necessity. They're not a luxury. Good, healthy, inf you know, health-infusing relationships, those might feel luxurious. But being in a relationship is paramount for humans. And we know this because the, the whole idea of people making inanimate objects animate. So we, we might see our stuffed animals as real things. And we see this with little children, that they attach to stuffed animals. We might attach to our car. We might call our car a name. We make it an animate object when it really is an animate because humans can't help it. They might see their plants as animate, like actually relating to them. And even though there is life in a plant, don't think they have souls. So we do this with pets. We do this with any object that becomes powerful to us or becomes very important to us. So we can't help but relate. We can even relate to the driver next to us. We can relate to the person at the grocery store that is frustrated about not being able to get through the line in time. And we might give each other a look like, yeah, I know. That's relating. So humans do this naturally. So what I want you to think about is that this whole idea, when, when you think about this idea that the goal is to cut down on unnecessary injury, damage, and pain. And after thousands of years of stability and similarity, romantic relationships have changed dramatically in the past few decades. Overall, the things sought for, needed, desired, and required, the one thing that has climbed to the top of the list that virtually everyone is seeking when it comes to relationship is happiness. And a lot of that has to do with, especially in America, we have so many of our needs met that really we're not looking for a relationship to just give us protection or give us children or the reason that people may have married in the past to climb the, the ladder to success. Now, some people may do this, but right now, relationships are those of choice. And the majority of them are just looking for happiness. And so one of the reasons that marriages fail is because of the pressure individuals place on that union, that contract, to be the source of happiness. See, prior to marriage, most couples don't have this mindset. 
and they are free to gain quote-unquote happiness in many areas of their lives other than just the primary relationship. And we know that as Christians that there's no quote-unquote one person, no place, no amount of money, no prestige, that's really going to provide the happiness we're really longing for. See, looking for happiness in, in another person is an easy way, but it ends up making much more hardship for you and the people that you're with. It's kind of an immature pursuit to always be looking for your needs and happiness outside of yourself. And we just talked all about last week being your own best version and the idea of being an adult, showing up as a grown-up. Because the dependent and needy human is primarily relegated to children. So that doesn't mean that as adults I don't need things. It doesn't mean I may have to depend on certain things. But it has a lot to do with my own autonomy and making sure that I'm dependable to me, that I can firstly and foremost depend on me. And of course, my ultimate dependence, if I really truly want to be successful in my life and with other people, is my 100% relationship and dependence on God so that I have healthy expectations of the people and the humans around me. So when we think about this, that you want to understand if being married were a primary need for happiness, peace, joy, contentment, and fulfillment, then why would Jesus be single, right? Now, we do know that there is the idea that the humans that God has created are to be the bride of Christ. So Jesus will ultimately be married. However, that, that is a very esoteric, that is a very lofty concept when God talks about these things. And so it's difficult for us to, to understand it. But what we get is the idea of being married to God starts many times with being married to another human. And see, the enemy wants to lie to us and cause us to believe that, that getting married is somehow the arrival point in life. It's the end goal. And I, I do believe that sometimes Christians make the institution of marriage an idol in and of itself. And it becomes this goal to work for, for, this arrival point, that somehow if you're not married yet, there's something wrong with you. That you need to fix something and then you'll be suitable for marriage. And if you're divorced, then there's really something wrong with you. And so I have both married people and singles in my practice. And, and for most therapists, marrieds are the most predominant. So don't accept the lie that married people are the people that have it all together. They're the healthy ones. They're the happy ones. They're the ones that arrived. Because it isn't that way. Everyone's journey is a private, personal, independent journey toward God and toward salvation and toward being who God has called you to be. If God has marriage for you as a way to get you there, then the more you depend on him, the more he will be able to open those doors. And so you want to think about you leave and cleave to Christ first. And then if you choose to be married, you cleave as a mortal. But you cleave, you leave your family, you cleave to Christ first. Then you choose who you want to do in the natural. So we're going to talk more tomorrow about this idea, about how hard dating is in this particular time of life, especially if you're older but you know what? I have to tell those of us that are older, the young people are struggling just as much. It is really difficult to find that soulmate. So I'm praying for you all. Join me tomorrow as we talk more about this. 
Make sure you check out the website. Have a great afternoon. And always, I appreciate my amazing producer, Jeremy. Have a great day. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.